This is Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda. I'm Johnny Hart, and you're listening to the Market Insights Market Pulse podcast. Let's speak to Oanda Senior Market Analyst in London, Craig Earlham. Good morning, Craig. Good morning, Johnny. Let's start with the latest Chinese trade data, which has been disappointing. It has. I mean, it's not the first month it's been disappointing. It's been disappointing for quite some time. The interesting thing about this trade data is it doesn't just point to weakness in China, it points to weakness abroad. And we've seen plenty of evidence of this from all of the major exporting uh, nations over the course of 2023 as a whole, really. But what's interesting is the acceleration that we've seen. So exports fell 14.5% year on year in July. Imports fell 12.4% year on year in July. Both of these were an acceleration from what we saw in June, but also much higher than the uh, consensus forecasts that we had for that month. So it just highlights that while we are seeing signs of a potential soft landing in certain markets amid much higher interest rates, The overall underlying story remains one of soggy demand, both domestically uh, in China, but also externally as well, especially for manufactured products. So this is something that's probably put a bit of a dampener on trade so far in Asia overnight, uh, maybe feeding through into the, the softer European Open as well. It's not a new story, but it is a confirmation story of this trend that we've seen throughout this year. And one that doesn't look like particularly abating, if I'm perfectly honest. Even where we are seeing strong resilience, it's generally in the services sector. I think that's really important, especially when you're talking about China, where the export market of manufactured goods is so significant. It really does feed through into that narrative that we need to see further stimulus in China to try and regenerate growth, whether that's through supporting the services industry and supporting household spending, which has been less strong than many anticipated it would be. Um, It seemed that that initial rebound faded quite quickly, or whether it's through the more traditional avenues like infrastructure spend, or whether it's going to be supporting the property industry, which has, of course, suffered considerably over the last couple of years as a result of the pandemic, but also clampdowns uh, domestically as well. We do need to see some more support ultimately in China if it's going to not just achieve its 5% growth target, which would be relatively modest growth compared to what we've seen for the last 20 years in China, but also um, give Chinese households and businesses the confidence they now need to get this on a more sustainable footing. Meanwhile, here in the UK, Craig, retailers are apparently ramping up promotions in a bid to entice shoppers after poor weather in July has hit business. We've got some new data out today suggesting sales declined last month. It's usually a busy month in July with particularly fashion shoppers updating their summer wardrobe, but it's been very disappointing for a lot of retailers. Yeah, it has. I mean, I think there's a couple of elements to this, really, which is quite interesting. Uh, One is the fact that, yes, as you say, just looking at the headline level, it was a disappointing number. We did see um, we did see retail sales actually rise by only 1.8%. That was a quite marked deceleration from what we saw last month, uh, or should I say the month before, uh, and also much lower than people were expecting. But there's two things that we need to see here. One is that despite the resilience that we have seen more generally in the economy, 
with every passing month, that squeeze was always going to be felt that little bit harder. Um, I think that's one thing that is quite evident in, in a number of different data points we see. The other thing as well is that weather does have an impact. Now, people can be quite sceptical about the weather implications for things like retail sales, but it's it, the, the logic is there and the evidence is there to back it up. We've got to remember if people are going outside less, then they're shopping less. And if people are shopping in store more than compared uh, than they have done really over the course of the pandemic so far, we have seen that increase in, in kind of external sales, then the weather is going to play more of a role. And then there is the seasonal impact as well. When we're moving into the summer months and people are refreshing their summer wardrobes, but if the summer weather hasn't arrived, and unfortunately, well, I say unfortunately, but we've missed out on the heat wave that's hit the rest of Europe and instead we've been given rain instead. So if that's the case, then people are going to uh, be not spending as much money on refreshing their wardrobes, especially at a time when they're having to be more selective with how they are spending their money. And we don't normally talk about the BRC retail sales monitor because it's normally the official headline retail sales number, but... I mean, there's two reasons why it was worth bringing this up. One is that we have not seen an enormous amount of economic data at the start of this week, if we're being perfectly honest. It's been a pretty slow start to the week. The combination of this with the other economic indicators and the commentary that we've had from the central bank, which I think at the start of this week has painted a really interesting picture of where the UK economy stands. Indeed, Craig, we've had property data out as well from the Halifax, which show a decline in property prices. Uh, where I am here in the southeast as much as 3.6%, which is uh, quite a chunk. And we've had some comments as well from Hugh Pill. Yeah, I mean, housing data is interesting. It's part of an ongoing trend that we are seeing a decline in house prices. It is worth noting that house prices are still significantly above where they were pre-pandemic, but we had that boom um, in the aftermath of the onset of the pandemic because we had things like stamp duty holidays. We had a lot more people moving houses because they decided they needed offices and outside space more than they had before. And they weren't spending their money as much on goods because, of course, they were they were locked down. So we saw this surge in house prices and now we're seeing house prices effectively give some of that back, arguably to a lesser extent than you would expect considering what happened over the two years prior and the level of interest rates currently. Um, but we are seeing it give some of that back, so we're seeing a cooling in the housing market. Now, we also heard from Hugh Pill, as you say, Bank of England uh, chief economist, and he made some interesting comments, one about wage demands, rowing back effectively on previous comments one thing that the bank of england under andrew bailey has not been good at is communication they seem to say the wrong things at all all the time and when i say the wrong things i mean the things that really frustrate people at the time when they least need and want to hear such inflatory remarks shall we say um uh we hugh pill famously a few months ago effectively saying people need to accept that they're poorer and stop trying to demand much higher wages if we're going to get over this which again i can see the kind of textbook logic that if people ask for less money then inflation over the longer term may fall back to two percent quicker but you can't demand that households just accept they're poorer um it's poor communication and so he's kind of rowing back on these things saying that it's not wage demands which is driving inflation and it's not necessarily profiteering from companies and there's plenty of evidence to that so far i mean of course there is going to be certain companies in certain sectors where they have seen profits boom and therefore you could argue that there has been uh, profiteering and energy for example is one that we're seeing that but he said margins overall across a broad spectrum of sectors uh, are pretty consistent with where they were pre-pandemic so you can't really blame uh, profiteering in general on um, on inflation but then the other thing was uh, uh, that we've seen this morning is in relation to some um, 
some forecasts for inflation for July. And what was interesting about that is that inflation is going to fall below or is expected to fall below wage growth in July because of the change in the energy price cap. And that's going to be the first time more than a year that we've actually seen wages rising faster than inflation. That's a, a huge turning point. Um, it's expected to last as well. This isn't meant to expect to be a blip. It's expected to last into 2025. Um, and effectively to an extent you could argue suggest that the kind of worst of the cost of living crisis is then behind us although many households will disagree but there is the other element to it as well which is at around seven percent wages are far too high to be consistent with inflation falling back to two percent so interest rates are going to remain high until both of those inflation and wage growth numbers fall back to more sustainable levels maybe around two percent of inflation and three and a half percent for wage growth in an ideal world um but interest rates are going to remain high. So what that means, though, is that while overall inflation is falling for those households who are on tracker mortgages or who are having to refinance their mortgages or business having to refinance their loans, they're the ones who are going to feel the sting from much higher interest rates, more than offsetting any improvements that we're seeing in inflation or from a household perspective from wages. Um, and therefore, we're going to see that kind of unevenness uh, appear in terms of some people being hit much, much harder than others over the course of the next 12 months. So we need to see both of these numbers coming right down in order for the Bank of England to not just pause their tightening cycle. Markets, I think, now are only pricing in one more rate hike from the Bank of England, for example, currently at 5.25% expected to rise to 5.5% at the next meeting. But also, if we want interest rates to start falling next year, then we do need to see these numbers falling back to much more sustainable levels. But as I say, this data this morning is one that will come as a relief to many households, but also could enable the economy more broadly, because I think it's around 30% of households have mortgages. It'll enable households more generally to continue to spend and the economy to show the increased resilience that it's already shown this year to a large extent um, because of that positive uh, real income. So that's going to be an interesting thing for the second half of the year to watch as well. And higher tax receipts for the Chancellor if wages continue to go up, uh, Craig. Uh, final story for you. Here we are once again working from home. And uh, I was interested to see that Zoom, who've done rather well over the last uh, three or four years, are asking some of their workers to go back to the office, which is incredibly ironic. Yeah, the, yeah. I mean, I'm sure the irony won't be lost on them. Uh, one of the companies that benefited most from the pandemic. I, I, I tried to think back three years because it feels like such a long time ago, three and a half years now. How many people had actually heard of Zoom uh, prior to the pandemic? I feel like it wasn't very many. And then within a few months, it became a household name, a platform that everyone used in one form or another, either professionally or or personally. And um, and yeah, and they really benefited from from people working from home. And it seems that they have continued that ethos within the company that itself uh, now for the last three and a half years, but they've now decided that actually there is a benefit to working from the office. They kind of hybrid model two days in, a few days out, um, and they need to make the most of that. And I, I can understand the point. I mean, the businesses around the world are still trying to find the right balance of flexible working, how much is, needs to be in the office, how much needs to be at home. I don't think we've found that correct equilibrium yet. But at the same time, if you're a company like Zoom, not only you may benefit from people working from home, but your competition is immense. And you can't ignore that. You can't 
take your foot off the gas if you're going to be a feasible company that's going to exist in five years' time. If you're competing against these enormous household names that are developing their technology rapidly, like Microsoft, then you need to continue to be ahead of the game, remain ahead of the game, and keep people using your platform. And they've clearly decided, while they like the flexible model, while it's benefited them greatly, the best thing that they can do for the, to future-proof their business is to find a more hybrid model that includes people working face-to-face. And um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how many more companies continue to follow that suit. I think a lot more people now are back in the office, but there's still an awful lot of people still working at home, either on a part-time or a full-time basis. And uh, I still think the rebalancing of that is taking place. Okay, Craig, very interesting to talk to you this morning. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks very much. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda.